Yes, I tell people my age to shift their mindset around what age means. Right. Just for a listener, what is your age? I'm 73. I mean, that's amazing. This is episode 6 of the Johanna Improv Podcast. My name is Laura Dorneweert, and this is a very special episode because I'm talking to Sue Walden. Now, normally I talk about improv and improv trainers and improv performers, but she is using improv for non-theatrical purposes, or how other people call it, applied improv. She trains people with the principles of improv to become better leaders uh, for business development and more. She is from San Francisco in America, and I think that what she does is very inspiring. So I was so happy to talk to her. And all throughout this conversation, there are many uh, tips and recommendations she gives if you yourself maybe want to go from improv into applied improv, or if you're already a trainer in that field. We talk about different things, including how working with a partner has kickstarted her career, what obstacles she has overcome, what she did when she got, quote, a little tiny bit bored, unquote, and much, much more. If you want to know more about the things she talks about, see the show notes on www.lauradorneweer.com podcast. And also, if you think someone else should listen to this podcast, let them know. Send them the link or recommend it on Facebook or Twitter. It would be great if more people would hear about this. So thanks so much in advance. For now, have a lot of fun with this interview with Sue Walden. All right. Well, Sue, welcome to this interview. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yes, very. Um, so... Uh, I always start with the same question because I think that's just a good question to start with, which is um, if someone asks you, what do you do? How do you typically answer that? I tell them I am a, um, a practitioner of applied improvisation and I do professional development training. Right. And does that ring a bell with the people you talk to? or The second part does, but the first part is a door opener. It invites people to ask more. Ah, so you and deliberately, then I more. <laughs> yes. And Please. how do you explain it then? Because that's always a challenge to me too. Generally, I say I use the tools, the skills, and the principles from improvisation theater training for non-theatrical purposes, like team building, creativity, dealing with change. And um, how does how do your let's say customers or the people in your you work with who are they who, who do you work with it's all over the map I've had about every single industry invite me in for something from high-tech a lot of high-tech people Apple Intel uh, tandem long gone <laughs> um, IBM 
So a lot of high-tech folks, as well as retail, uh, toy stores, Mervyn's, The Gap, uh, the Disney Channel, um, interesting other clients. A lot of social services have brought me in, people who are dealing with people in needs, a lot of, a lot of those, mainly around not necessarily how do they do their job, but how do they work together better so that they can do their jobs, that type of thing. Mm. And, um, and some partner companies. Right, because um, I'm actually thinking maybe we should uh, go back a little bit because um, I think you started in improv for theater and then you went to applied. Can, can Correct. You, can you describe a little bit how that went? You don't have to do your, in, your entire history, but maybe a little bit how that, what you did first and what you did then. My whole career, and I put that in quotes, has been very organic. Um, I have a degree in education, but because I had my kids right after I got out of school, I never got really into the school system except for one year, and that was enough to teach me not a good fit. So I did a lot of peripheral work around my kids' school, enrichment classes. And during that time, a friend of a friend brought my friend and I to San Francisco to an improv theater open workshop. And... I had no idea what I was going to, except that we just did fun things together, this friend and I. We looked for opportunities to build our creativity. So this lady, her name was Candy. I consider her a guardian angel of mine. I met her that day and have never seen her again. And um, that workshop that afternoon was like somebody threw barn doors wide open. It was like the, the deep, real me went, ah, this is it. <laughs> this is what you need to be doing. And it changed my life. So I was working with that particular company for three years till they closed their doors. And there I am, addicted. And no workshop and no improv troupe to play with. And so I went, wait a minute. I have a degree in education. I can teach this. So March of 1978, I started teaching a class, and it just all grew from there. I also, at that same time, gathered five other people that I loved to play with and started my own improv troupe. Right. now. So those were going simultaneously. Mm, after three years of taking workshops and classes and performing after they only had one year curriculum and then I got invited into what was called the advanced workshop which was the performing workshop so um, and then you know built the skill as I went along there are some people who the improv skill set is such a good fit for their particular the way their brain is wired that it comes very very easy and I was one of those fortunate people and the skill built, which is, and the challenges grew as I got more skilled because I would bump into my own personal issues, limits, fears, whatever. And the process was like a safety net to just keep pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. Oh. 
Fantastic. So, yeah. So after two years of running my own workshop program and attracting a real variety of people, by the way, in my classes, I had a rule that you could talk about anything except your occupation. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. As I learned in the very first year of my classes, that can be a real detriment. I had a lady who was a, a producer, video producer. She did a lot of educational films. And all of a sudden, all the aspiring actors in the class started, instead of learning, they started auditioning for her. And I thought, you know, a person's occupation is really irrelevant to this process, so let's clear it out. And as a result of that, I really didn't have a sense of what my people did that were in my workshop. So I started surveying just a little bit about, for me, for my information, uh, of what kind of people were actually coming. And um, after two years, my students who had been telling me they'd been using the skills in their work and in their personal lives, uh, I had this one lady say, I'm working at a communications firm, outside of class, of course, she said this, and we really need to develop an advanced course. And my boss says that he thinks something around spontaneity would be good. Could you come in and talk to him about that? And that was my first step into applied improvisation. And I designed a course for them. Uh, they insisted I go through their basic course first so that I could see their milieu. And after I did that, because of my improv skills, I was very good in this executive communications course. Even though I had very little in common with the participants, I had to dress <laughs> suit like which was a stretch, but I did really well because I'm good in front of groups. I'm an improviser. Uh, so they invited me to come in as a part-time person to assist in their regular program. So out of this exposure and this invitation to design an advanced course, I actually got a part-time gig that was really nice because I was just at the very beginning of working my improv workshops and they weren't paying the bills yet. So this was very nice to get this other gig. And it was only maybe mm, four days a month, which was great. Um, it was very interesting. Go yeah, ahead. Yes, and this was um, if, it means three years with this other group, and then you were doing this for two years. So it's only five years after you started. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And two years after... I was on my own. Um, yes, it, and it was very helpful because it helped pay the bills uh, and, and really give me good support. And I did that with them for three years. Now, the interesting thing is that while I was doing that, I was, I was actually doing applied improvisation without knowing it, especially in the advanced course that I had to co-lead because I led all the exercises and activities. The... The thing that was interesting, which I realized someplace along that three-year experience, is that I was using those skills in some really surprising ways. 
for example, my role was to lead a piece of the training and mainly to be the coach. So I sat in a room one-on-one -on -one with all these executives. Talk about getting exposure to a group of potential clients. Wow, yeah. Uh, and the improv skills gave me the awareness to really see on video what people were doing and what was the message it was sending. So I was very good at reading body language and listening to tone because, you know, when you're on stage improvising a scene, you have to do that to get the information that you need, yeah. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was very good at this video coaching, so good at it that they asked me to start training other people to be video coaches. And all this was just kind of an evolution development of me observing how these skills applied. Mm -hmm. So when other students started inviting me in to work with their teams mainly, I was through this experience starting to develop a vocabulary of ways that these skills could be used. Yeah. So that that was the very easy launch into it. Now, had I stayed solo, I would have been boxed in a certain way of working. However, I was fortunate enough to have this woman in my workshops who was as left brain as they come. She came from the banking industry, training in banks to tellers and bank people, who was there because her friend said, you know, you're not having enough fun in your life. So go take an improv class. You need to loosen up. So she came. And during that time with me, she uh, her bank got bought. And she was warned she was going to be laid off. So she had been hiring me to come in and work with her tellers. And essentially hand-holding me through the design process from this filter, very different from my filter, which really was very needs-focused as opposed to improv focused. And so what we did is we, she pushed me over to use the improv to meet needs. Uh, then when she found out she was gonna be laid off, she said, hey, do you wanna create a partnership? I think we could create something really special out of this. Oh my, this, these are some opportunities yeah. in the very first start of the career you were doing. Yes, I think, I think that was about maybe five years in that that happened. It wasn't real early on because I had already started to make inroads in some places like Apple just really wanted an improv workshop because they wanted to loosen up their people and they wanted them to play together nice things <laughs> like that. Um, but the minute she stepped into my life and we created this partnership and she insisted we go to a, con a consultant and actually hammer out an actual partnership agreement totally foreign from my way of thinking that she insisted and it was a good thing to do because we really learned a lot about each other so were I to give some advice to people who have improv training and want to transition I would say the ideal thing is to find a partner who's got that network in the professional development training world and who really knows how to talk client needs yeah how to ask those questions because I learned so much from her I credit her with a great 
portion of my success mm. because she gave me that other vocabulary and she gave me um, that other filter. Right. Now, here's something I wonder, um, because uh, well, I, I also have this dual thing of the improv and the, the business part. And uh, mm -hmm. what I found, because I was going from business, b being, uh, doing a business study to improv theater, um, uh -huh. is that the, the, the improv is, well, very simply said, it's the fun part. It's playing, it's uh, energizing, it's the, the thing I can never get enough of. While the business part can be like very heady and difficult and focused on problems. And um, I wonder if you work together, I'm sure this is also uh, particular to whatever person it is, but I, I wonder to what extent you found it hard to combine this, this fire and this joy with uh, such a professional world. Well, it wasn't easy at the beginning. What made it work was she had been taking improv classes, so we had a common vocabulary. That, that foundation is crucial. And she valued the, what improv could bring. Not just the fun of it, though she realized that the fun was actually a doorway to create more openness in people. That that was its main thing. Because there's a lot of fun ways to do training. There's a lot of people, like the, the guy who uses juggling and the people who use drumming. Those are all fun. And they have the same impact. Um, so she saw that value and she wanted the integration. And the common vocabulary is what saved us because we would start to go head to head on something, on an approach to our design. We always design together. Um, and then we both would say, well, let's just take a step back and yes, am this. Okay. What I like about what you're suggesting is, <laughs> I would say to her, and then it helped smooth out and we found what could work. Constantly, we were having to fall back on our, what I like about your idea is, that phrase, to get us in the yes, and mode. And um, like I said, it wasn't always easy because, I mean, you couldn't have picked two people more opposite than her and I. The only really thing we had strongly in common is we were both female. Right. <laughs> Although strongly in common. I like that part. You're very strongly yes. a female. Yes. So, and you got to recall, she's also very left brain. Mm. So, um, I mean, she was uh, two girls from a Jewish family on the East Coast. I'm six kids from a Methodist family on the West Coast. So we could just start there. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> and she's been working in the bank, and I've been working in improv theater. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I, I love the but part. Yeah, where you say basically you're, um, th this sounds such like cliche, but it's true. Like you're practicing what you preach. So also exactly. in, in the process, remember what you teach other people. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what helped keep our partnership working. And as a result of that, her skill set and my skill set actually blended. Mm. So she ended up being more spontaneous and a better trainer and more engaging and using her humor more in her training. And I ended up much better at 
listening for client needs and being able to design and adapt to those. Instead of just looking to make this fun, I wanted the fun to really have a learning impact. And it changed the whole way I design and the way that I talk to clients. We gave that to each other by being in Yes And. Mm, I love that. So, um, further along the road, were there other um, turning points or highlights that you think, oh, that those actually also made a strong impact like this partnership did? Yes, there have been, there've been several. And they've been mostly, as I said, organic. They've come out of the people I've been exposed to and the natural expression of my passion. <laughs> um, our partnership lasted 10 years and ended up, you know, partnerships can end ugly or they can end well. Um, and because we had gone through that whole thing about creating a partnership agreement, ours ended beautifully. Plus of who we were. She wanted to get more into coaching, and I wanted to do more professional development training, of course, which I just love doing. So we ended the partnership, and part of it was that I got to keep contact with all the clients. There was no possessiveness, and either one of us could use any of the work we'd ever done. You know, nobody owned anything. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and that, yeah, that was... Um, at the beginning, when we created the partnership, I kept thinking, oh, we're going to have problems about who owns what. But after 10 years of working in Yes And so intensely, that wasn't an issue at all. No. It didn't matter. Mm. So, you know, we the, the work continued. Um, a big next, what I consider, huge opportunity that just dropped in my lap and I credit with the work that I'm doing currently internationally is that I had two people in my workshops that I didn't even know they were connected. One was a woman and her sister taking improper fun together. They wanted a play thing to do. And the other was this man who came was dating one of my advanced students and he came into a play night. A couple of them in fact. He came back the next month and brought his family. Um, and they actually were partners along with one other woman who were at that time creating what's called the Coaches Training Institute, which is now an international training program for people who want to get in the field of coaching, life and business coaching. Uh, and they were just in the, they were in the, the youth of that. And it was growing and they needed front of the room teachers for their courses. So they were going to create a leadership program to develop these people to be front of the room leaders. So they invited me in, having these two people both have experience of me in slightly different ways, one in a workshop and one in a play thing, and invited me to be part of the pilot. They gave me instruction of whether they wanted me to accomplish, so I designed accordingly. And it was such a success that when they developed their one-year program, I was invited to be specialty instructor for the second week and the fourth week. Mm. And that was an international program. There were people coming to that from all over the world. Oh, wow. 
So they all met yeah. you and they you met me. They experienced my work and how it applied in two different directions, one for co-leading and one for creativity. And these were really sharp people so they could connect a lot of dots. Uh, so, and that, their leadership program expanded, expanded, expanded. And um, became more of a leadership general program, not just front of the room for their programs. And very successful, filled all the time uh, expanded to Spain, and so they sent me to Spain, my first trip to Europe. <laughs> and now, when was this? Just for time. That was 1999. Mm. Is when they started. So hmm, I just realized there's a, a parallel in a 10 year cycle because I had my partnership for 10 years. Yes. And lasted. 10 years. Now the program is still going on, but it got so successful they wanted to bring all the specialty stuff in-house, so they bought me out. But I'll tell you, after 10 years of doing this and traveling to the East Coast and traveling to Europe uh, for it, um, I thought, you know, been here, done this. I'm getting a little tiny bit bored. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, a week later, the CEO was a third partner. The CEO contacted me and said, you know, we're getting so big, we really need to pull this in-house. We can't afford to pay to send you all over the world all the time. Can we talk about a buyout here? Wow. So, and I used one of my good rules of thumb, which I didn't just accept their offer. I said, let me think about it. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I tell people at the beginning of applied improv when you're talking to clients never quote something right at the beginning say let me work up a proposal on this I'll get back to you in ba da ba so and so I went and then I talked with um, a friend who mentors me around stuff like this a lot and he said mm, too low go back with this and ah. I recommend that you ask them to split it up over three months over three years so you don't get a big tax hit on this big chunk of money. Oh, is that perfect or yes. what? Yes. And they accepted the increase that I asked for and they accepted the three year break. Anyway, so so that that serendipitous timing of those two people coming and being in my workshops and they're developing their program, they created me as an international having an international network. So when I went to Spain to do their program, uh, the first time I went, I was just, oh, wow, Europe, wow. I spent a week in London just because I was had a stop over there just to walk around with Gaga face, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, and then when I got home, I went, Sue, you saw London is full of improv groups. Why didn't you contact them and let them know a guest instructor? A, yeah expert instructor was going to be around did they want to hire me <laughs> so my next trip I did that I contacted them all ahead of time and there were three groups that said yes we would love to hire you so I started thinking about other places I might go while I was there you know I expanded my thinking a little bit about uh, the, here's an opportunity I've been paid to travel here what else can I do with this time 
and um, put the word out through my database of all of the practitioners. I saved emails of everyone who bought one of my books. And people started sponsoring workshops in Europe for me. Right. Now, you yeah. were apparently in that time also free to do that. But you also said you had kids. I don't know, maybe time-wise they were oh, already old enough. Yes, grown, grown kids. Right. Yeah. I, I had my kids in my 20s, my early 20s. That's right. Yes. Well, it just sort of happened. <laughs> yeah. I know, in retrospect, then it seems smart. <laughs> I guess yeah, so. it, it was the perfect thing in retrospect. Yeah. It wasn't intended, but it was perfect. Yeah, so you had your hands free to, to travel. And also, yes. if a group would say, we would love to have you, I don't know, the weekend after, you could stay a little longer. Right. 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 Can we fly you over to Sweden and have you do a program here? Yes. Of course. Uh, yes. So that that was a happening pretty organically, and I was nudging it a bit by letting people know when I was going to be in Europe, and then trusting them to yes. pick up the ball. And was this always applied, or did you did you keep combining? Uh, Improv for theater and applied? It was mostly applied, though there was a group in Finland. There was a, uh, two guys in Finland, and one of them was part of an improv theater group, and they were in touch with other groups. So they invited me to come in for a weekend advanced improv theater course, and they brought in members of four different troops. And so I did a Friday night, an all-day Saturday, and then we combined them all together to do an improv show that night. And they asked, invited me to do in the second half of the show to do my one-woman show, my one-woman improv show. Oh, oh, tell me a little bit about that. I want to hear about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I finished up that weekend, and that's happened with them. That happened twice. Right. Um, plus then the other, just to finish the other question about, I was doing... Um, specialty, I was coming in as a guest instructor in a couple schools in London to teach improv theater, but mostly what was paying for the trip was the applied improv. Um, with regards to the one-woman show, <laughs> I had my own troupe for, hmm, I guess it was about 28 years. Wow, that's long. What's the name of the group? Flash Family. Flash Family, okay. Yes. We were honored two years ago by the San Francisco Improv Festival as a uh, as, as a company that had a huge influence on the San Francisco improv scene. Amazing. Which we did because we birthed many other groups unintentionally, you know, as people moved to us, like Rafe. Yes. Uh, there were a lot of people that have um, uh, gone performed with us and then have gone on and created their own groups and things like that, which, cool. which is great. I like the evolving, revolving kind of team yeah. that I got to work with. I've had, I've had the privilege of working with some amazing improvisers. Amazing. Okay. Um, Tell me about the one Anyway, so after, yes, yes. after 28 years, it was feeling way too easy. I and I felt like it, I wasn't being challenged. I, I, had, I had no edge working ensemble improv because, you know, you surround yourself with good people. And if you're skilled, you know, it's like, it's so easy to do it. 
Uh, so I thought, okay, what would up the challenge on this? Hmm. And nobody at that time was doing one-person improv. Oh, oh, wow. As far as I know. Um, one of the things about having a troupe that started in 1978 and lasted so long is just about everything we have seen other troops going, no, we're doing this. We're doing a serial, you know, a, we're doing a mystery. We're doing a Shakespeare. We're doing a musical, you know, all this stuff. It's like, yeah, we did that. We did that back in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who can say that, right? <laughs> so it, it's been fun to watch everything revolve around and come out new. Uh, so I think I was one of the first people to try like two person improv and then one person improv. So I thought, well, that would really stretch me. So I created a general structure for a one woman improv show that very actively used the audience. Mm. I called it mm. Sue and friends and the friends were the people in the audience. So, and I loved involving the audience. It was always a favorite thing of mine. Uh, so I just structured the whole show around me and the audience and, uh, I got to do it in Finland, and I also got to do it in uh, London mm. and, and all over in California. And then after a while, that felt like actually too much effort because I was in the producer role again. And what I like to do now is go where I'm invited. I don't want to do any of the logistic producer stuff anymore. Yep. I have so done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because my troupe, I was the producer, I was the director, and I was a performer. Right. And now your network is um, so dense that you everywhere have people that organize and produce it for you. Is that true? Right. And actually, it's, it's actually simpler than that because that still was involving a lot of contact from me. I have in Europe a woman and a man, a married couple, attended that leadership program in Spain uh -huh. separately. They both came back and said, what did you think about that improv piece? You know, wasn't that great? Wasn't that, can you see all the application, blah, blah, blah. Let's contact Sue and see if she would like us to represent her and be her business managers for Europe. Oh, wonderful. And Middle East, because they had networks into the Middle East, Turkey and Israel too. So they contacted me and I said, yeah, let's talk about this. This sounds, this sounds interesting. Sounds like exactly what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Which was somebody else to handle all the logistics and most of the marketing. I, I can't believe someone offered it. I, I think it's, it's impressive enough if you find someone willing to do it for you, but then they offered it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so they have, they have been, anytime anything comes up in Europe, I say contact Lydia and Ariane and get it organized through them, you know, get the dates right away so I can get them on my calendar. But they handle everything, all the logistics, they handle the billing, they handle everything. I can't have a um, bank account in Europe because I don't live there. So they handle everything. It's, it's just beautiful. And they've become dear, dear friends. Yeah. So she's, Ariane is working a whole lot right now. So he's kind of pulled into the background of that. But Lydia and I just work as, as partners on all this stuff. She also is very good at co-leading. And uh, we just, and she has come up with some great ideas for new courses. Why don't you design a course, blah, 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 and I can sell it too, blah, blah, blah. 
oh, I like that idea. Oh, lovely. Now, yeah. I'm because I'm getting all pumped of all of these this positive energy, and then there's this little voice in the back of my head thinking, "Oh, come on! There, there were some bumps in the road. Uh, could you, could you tell me, like, or could you share one or two? Like, oh, th those oh, parts were hard. One of the biggest bumps was when I was just doing the improv theater workshops and performances, and occasional." Um, corporate applied improv gigs and my improv workshops at that point we were still pretty much the only game in town as before bats came in uh, and so we were really expanding and I had a lot of extra staff and um, we went into a nonprofit structure so I had a full-time admin person and it was like the structure around me just grew 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 and a lot of it of course demanded resources, a lot of my time, and um, more funds to be paying these people. Uh, but there is, as I'm sure you know, a certain ceiling on how much one can charge for an improv theater workshop. Yeah. It's, you know, it's what's called disposable income product. Right. In other words, people don't have to do it. No. They can choose to do it or not. So when they're feeling a little tight, they don't. Um, and there was a recession that hit us, and while I had this huge, big organization, all of a sudden, people started getting more cautious about spending their money. And I had a six-month period of time there where I couldn't even make my rent. And I had this amazing landlord who was giving me grace on this Mainly it turns out because his sister was running a nonprofit and he knew what the cash flow was like for that. Mm. So um, he came in one day and he said, we've got to talk. This can't go any, on any longer. What are we going to do? That was a really, that six month period was really hard because I knew I was sinking. Everybody was being paid but me. So um, so he forced me just by, you know, putting a line in the sand to, like, step back and think totally new about the way I was handling things, running things, and what was running me and what I could do differently. And um, one of the things that I did was instead of doing the stressful thing about how am I going to increase income, I thought, oh, what can I do to decrease outgo without yeah deprived I I changed both my phone uh, my mobile phone carrier I changed and got a much better deal uh, I got rid of one of my landlines and cut down and went to another company uh, with a much better deal for my one landline and my internet line I, I looked into a thing with PG&E, um, which is our utility company. Okay. They had a program that I'd never bothered with before, which was if you're below a certain threshold of income, you can get your utility bill sliced in half. Wow. I just started looking around for these kinds of things that could lower the outgo. Uh, that was when I got involved in Airbnb because I had a bedroom I was just using for storage. Mm. I emptied it out, cleaned it up, furnished it. That took my rent way down. Yeah. So I got 
I got him paid off in three months. I got caught up in three months with just kind of shifting the way I was looking at everything. Because the other way was stressful, especially because so much of marketing is out of your control. Yeah. And it also sounds like there were a lot of costs in that company. Yes. And I started trimming back on that a bit, too. Yeah. Eventually, I realized that the overhead was burying me, and I just started trimming, 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 trimming. During that time, I trimmed, trimmed, trimmed down to me and a my personal assistant. Yes. Yeah. Especially because a lot of other things were starting to happen to take some things off my plate, you know, like having support systems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and somebody you need that wake-up call to to yeah. look fresh again in that. Uh, mm -hmm. Right, and it's, get, it's real easy to get stuck in viewing things a certain way just because that's the way they've been. And a, a nudge like that, you know, yeah. uh, to really step back and look. Because there's so many ways you can actually reduce your overhead without feeling deprived. And that was one of my commitments. I did not want to get into scarcity thinking. I wanted to just be sensible. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're so right. Um, I think I, and there, yeah. There, yeah, there are ways to do it. And most people don't want to talk about that outside, but I was telling everybody about it. In fact, a lady, um, in, I was going up in Portland to do uh, a program for the Portland AIN group, Applied Improv Network group. And uh, she said, while you're up here, can, can we collaborate on a program for seniors about how to handle their finances? And you could do the part about changing your view and, and tell them your story and lead them through some exercises to get their mind more flexible. So we co-created, she's a coach for on money. She's a money coach, essentially. We co-created this really cool course. Uh, I love that theme for applied improv. Yeah. Yeah. So I helped get their minds looser. And then I told them how my story about how the areas that I was able to easily whoosh, lower the overhead and reduce my stress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you know what comes of things. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think also the the talking about money is um, maybe I mean when I was studying business then there was no problem talking about money, uh, but then in anything I don't know theater improv cultural money is is a dirty subject. Exactly, and and as a result of that, we really get stuck in our paradigms around money, and most of them are emotional instead of you know factual or mathematic. <laughs> Yes, you know, because money is just a thing. It's all the it's it's all the emotion we attach to it that makes it such a mess. So, and I I was, it was interesting to watch how people were surprised at how I was talking about that whole money thing, and I did it purposefully just to show a different way of being around money. I do the same thing with my age. Oh really? I tell yes, I tell people my age to shift their mindset around what age means. Right. Uh, just for the listener, what is your age? I'm 73. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> people are shocked 
try that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's. I, I mean, I knew, but then again, um, it shifts my perspective on what seventy-three-year-olds can do. Right. right. I have a daughter-in-law whose culture in Vietnam is when you're forty-year-old, oh you are old. You retire by then because you're too old to work. Um, so when she came here and was saying, oh, you know, 40, old, you know, and I said, <coughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Um, when you're talking about what you do, I, I'm hearing that you're, um, uh, you're being very confident and also like, you know what you do well, you know, you know, how you're brain works and also why you should do what you should be doing. Was this always the case? Did you learn that? How how did that go? Hmm. No, I don't think I don't think confidence was something that I think that that came with time and with feedback. For me, what pulled me into that was my view of the work that I do, whether it was the improv workshops, improv theater, or the applied improv, is that I really don't have a choice. I have to do this. It's who I am. Yeah. It's, it's such a natural expression of the way that my system functions. Um, and it has served me so well uh, in the challenges in my life, the, you know, the tools and the principles they are so core to what I consider healthy living. I, I really don't, I don't feel I have a choice. So as a result of that, when you're really doing what you love and you feel is such a perfect fit for you, I think that confidence grows because you get really good feedback. Yep. You know, and I've almost always gotten really good feedback. Yeah. You know, the is times it? that I have, I remember the rule that says you throw out the best. On the feedback, you throw out the worst. And then that's what you gauge on how you did. Because there's always somebody who you threaten or you scare or they just don't work that way and therefore you shouldn't too. That type of thing. And then there's the people that are so, they're like you. Oh, it's so perfect. You know, and so you throw those two out because they're so personal. And then, and my feedback has always been really, really good. So that has given me confidence. Does it also make it That's easier? Oh. I was going to say another fun thing is like, you know, talk about your finances, talk yes. about your age, T tell people what you're good at. I've had people in my workshops do that. And it's amazing how uncomfortable it makes people. I have as a, as a tease, I have like when people are standing in groups, oh, and what is it you do? I'm a professional development trainer. I use the principles, tools, and skills of improv theater, and I'm very good at it. And just to watch the reactions on their face, <laughs> it's really priceless. Oh, well, yeah, you know, that's I, a great I way to start. Yeah, I don't do it. It's like a statement of fact. Yeah. I'm very good at this, you know, so. And then sometimes I'll say, so. What do you do and what are you really good at? You know? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I would almost, especially women, right? That's true. Yeah. 
Though our culture here in the States is one of being humble. I'm not sure is that that it's isn't it that way too in the Netherlands? Is that you don't toot your own horn, you don't it's, say what you're good at? I think even the the Dutch or maybe even Europeans think that Americans are better in presenting what they're good at than we are. Yeah, not we're, we're not that good. It's just <laughs> I have to push people sometimes. Yes. To just own it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Does it make it easier to ask for serious money when you're doing something? I think that's um, an edge for a lot of people. And for me, my observation is that it's a carryover of the mm, what the market will bear on an improv theater workshop is to carry that concept over into the professional development training and it's not they're not the same you know so uh, i've been trying to create ways to we did it once here in our region ways to talk about fees because um the applied improv network or the whole the whole applied improv field needs to be valued higher in terms of the dollars that we um assigned to our work one one very busy Dutch colleague of yours who I've worked with and he's hired me uh, told me what he was charging in very big corporations and I thought holy cow he is really undercharging and and it makes makes it difficult for people for other people that might he might want to bring in because I typically charge double what he does right yeah and so, um, so if we don't have those conversations, how do people know? Yes. You know, and he's way experienced. He should be charging double what he's charging and he would get it because he's very good and, um, he has a lot of return business and the companies definitely have it in their budget. Yeah. That's also another reason why we should talk more about it because then, exactly. you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Ah, oh, thank God we're talking about yeah. money. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a um, a real wake up for me was there's a group here in the states that are very highly regarded in the applied improv world, uh, very creative, and they're doing really well. And they send in a team of maybe two in for ten thousand a day. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! That, that jaw drop that you just did is exactly what I did when I and I thought I am really underpricing myself. Yes. And then I had a client say, um, "I we need you right away. We'll fly you out to the East Coast, yada yada yada." And uh, we have a budget of, and she said this number, that she said sixty five hundred dollars plus travel for a two hour workshop. Okay. So. And I would, this was on the phone, luckily, so she didn't see my face. And I said, that, that'll be fine. Yes. As it, and I tried to say it in such a way that I was making a slight concession. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Instead of your usual, I'll think about it. In this case, well, she told me what, what they had. It's really helpful when a client tells you what they have. Most of them don't want to do that. Yeah. So sometimes I'll say, let me think about this. What is your budget? Hmm. And they say they don't have one. And I will say, okay, 
what's what what is the budget for the whole program and I can at least get what the big picture budget is because that, that would include overhead and yada 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 no if ever you want to have a follow-up podcast and just talking about things oh. like things I've learned about how to how to transition into from theater improv into professional development applied improv there's certain steps that I mean I've done a lot of sessions at applied improv network conferences that you know I've thought this through pretty well about things that people need to do right at the beginning to to help them make that transition and uh, and then we can also talk about how to handle those money conversations with clients oh yeah uh, I'm I'm very in I am um, yeah you're totally right because because we're actually it's we're, we're running out of time here yeah okay but I just said myself and I thought that we've got a whole nother conversation yes. we can have here Right. All right. I'll fire some some short questions, uh, and then uh, and then we're gonna close. Um, okay. So, what do you have any recommendations in terms in terms of resources? You can, for instance, mention your own books, but maybe even like websites or whatever. For uh, for people, for who? For oh, sorry. For like in this theme of what we've been talking about, about both the uh, improv for theater and maybe a little bit the transition uh, to applied improv. So mm -hmm. considering what we talked about, are there some nice um, resources you can recommend? Yes, there are. There's several. And uh, I can send a list of those if you want to include them as an attachment to the podcast. Yes, I have uh, show notes. They can all be in there. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. And um, one thing... Definitely. I have two books. One is um, the the Dutch guys and the Belgian guy that wrote Yes and Your Business. Mm -hmm. Great book. The whole front part of it is a really nice discussion of application. And, and I have written a special edition of it by adding a whole big section on Yes and Your Mental Agility. So the special edition is really good. Patrick Short wrote one special edition with a big section on customer service if people are interested. So that Yes and Your Business book and its special editions is really good, very applicable. Paul Z. Jackson's books, he's got a lot that talk both about um, training as well as just good activities to be used. My, um, my book on um, working with groups to enhance relationships is filled with ones that exercises that are focused on communication, on working together, collaboration, that kind of thing. Uh, also, I have created an online course of how to design. And one of the challenges for improv theater people is to realize that designing for applied improv is slightly different. Uh, and I take people through the whole course, the whole way to do that step by step. It's playful, it's bright and colorful, and it works. Um, I can send you the website for that because you yes. can go in and see the introduction as a free peek. Also, because I think uh, that many applied improvisers get trained or even think a lot about that design process. Right. I mentioned it because it's excellent for people in transition, but applied improvisers have really benefited from it too. Yeah. Because yeah. it asks all the questions you need to be asking uh, yeah. rather than just leaking in and makes you look at structure in a fresh way. 
uh, and how to create structure, as well as I have one woman who says ever since she started using my method, her workshops end on time. Ha! Ha! Oh, there's so much. <laughs> it's so good to hear that because then it's. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I always thought, oh, yeah, I just have a really good sense of time. It's my design process that helps with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's one called Everything's an Offer, which is, I think, uh, Boynton. Anyway, that's on my list. But I do have a whole list. I call it uh, Resources for Improvisation and Creativity, and many of them work for applied improv. Brilliant. Oh, you're so organized. I love it. Great. Yes. That's something else that we would talk about on that follow-up podcast. Yes. Is how to get organized. Yes. Very Why nice. keep reinventing the wheel every time you do a program? Mm -hmm. You don't have to start from scratch except the first time. Yes. Well, you know, that, that might be a great um, closing statement for this uh, podcast. <laughs> okay. Starting from scratch. <laughs> great. You don't need to do that. Um, yeah. I will include um, all the links you'll send me. Uh, where can people yes. find you if they want to know more about you? Sue at improvworks, that's plural, dot org. Great. And that's also your website, improvworks.org. Yeah. Yes, it is. They can check you out. All right. Thank you so much, Sue. This was great. Um, yes. I'll guess I'll see fun. you in the second episode of, uh, of this talk sometime soon. Yes, you can. And in the fall when I come over to Netherlands and visit. Great. All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful day there You're in San Francisco. Welcome.